series right now that we have been calling A Thrill of Hope. And, and, if, uh, and, and if we're being honest, that's what the Christmas season really is. It, it is that thrill of hope to a weary world. That last song that, uh, that we just sang was just so beautiful. And, and so far we've been talking just about how God's story of redemption began all the way back in the Garden of Eden and, and really how, how the, the arc that that story has taken, that, that in God's recognition that humanity, his crowning achievement, was in need of a, a Savior and his plan of sending his own son not just to save us from our sins but for us to be able to have freedom right here today, right now in, in these moments, that we can walk in freedom and in victory today. And, and we talked about how the Old Testament prophets, they were the first ones to be exposed to and hear this, this redemption story, this redemption plan that God had for all of humanity. That they, and and the, the prophets, they shared it with, with his people. And, and so sprinkled throughout the, the Old Testament, we get, we get glimpses and we get snapshots of provi- provided of what's to come, that Samuel shared that the Messiah would reign forever. Isaiah prophesied that the Savior would be born of a virgin and that he would be a redeemer not just uh, of just the, the Jewish nation, but also for the Gentiles as well. Hosea prophesied that he would come from Egypt. Micah foretold that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. David prophesied that the Savior would speak in parables. Daniel said that Jesus would bring an end to sin. Zechariah announced that Jerusalem would rejoice as the Messiah entered on a donkey. And, and I could go on and on. And depending on what numbers you, you go with, there's, there's between, scholars kind of argue back and forth, between 300 and 500 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. And God did this on purpose. Like, he continued to remind his people that they were not forgotten, that he had not left them to, to live this life on their own, that they had not been abandoned. But these prophecies, they, they were a picture of things that were to come, that they were, they were a, a foretelling of God's grand plan the story that, that God was weaving together. Now, if, if you've ever watched any Pixar movies, and, and in, in our house we, we thoroughly enjoy watching Pixar movies, there, there's constant hints and foreshadowing of, thi- of other movies, things that are coming up, other movies that are in the works. And so, like in, in Toy Story 2, if you've ever watched Toy Story 2, when they're in Al's toy barn, you can see there's bu- uh, some of the characters from A Bug's Life are hanging up on the shelf in Toy Story 2. In, in Monsters, Inc., Boo actually has a stuffed Nemo, which uh, Sully is carrying right here. In, in Finding Nemo, in the movie Finding Nemo, there, there's a boy sitting in the dentist's office, and he's reading a Mr. Incredible comic book. And another nod to The Incredibles is in the movie Cars, Mater and Lightning, they're driving past a drive-in movie theater, and the Incredimobiles is playing at, at the drive-in movie theater. And it's just kind of this, this fun game that Pixar plays is they just kind of drop hints of other movies and other projects that are coming up in the works as well. And, and in some ways, that's kind of what God was doing. God was just kind of dropping these, these hints, these glimpses of what was to come. And, and finally, after, after all the waiting, after, after centuries, millennia of waiting, after the, last week we talked about the 400 years of silence, from Malachi's last prophecy until the arrival of Jesus. Like, Jesus, he finally bursts onto the scene, and, and the, the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah finally happened. It finally came, and, and the very first people to hear this story, to hear about the, the Messiah that had come, 
were the marginalized, the disenfranchised, those that were on the fringes of, of society, the poor, the ones without power, without influence, without means. We, we shared last week that, that the very first ones that heard this was, was a poor, unwed, pregnant teenage girl. She was the first one to hear about the, the Messiah. A poor carpenter was heard, or was the next to hear. The shepherds out in the field, like God, God purposely shared his story of redemption with those that were on the fringes at, at, at first. And this was the pattern throughout Jesus' entire life and ministry. The ones that he talked to, the ones he hung out with, the ones that Jesus rubbed shoulders with, the ones that he went out of his way to embrace, they were the ones that were on the fringes, on, on the edges of society. And, and man, that sure provides some hope for, for if, if not all of us, most of us in the room here today, because our church is not made up of the, the rich and powerful. We're not the celebrities of, of our day. I know most of us don't have it all put together. We, we're a church that didn't, not everybody came from perfect families, has everything to all, all together. And, and that's one of the things that, that I love about our church is that we are a collection of people that have some rough edges, who have a past, who maybe still walk with some baggage from things that happened before. And the great news is that God has made room inside his family for every single one of us. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that, that he, he throws the doors wide open to those of us who don't have life totally figured out yet. But the story arc uh, of Jesus and, and God's redemption story didn't stop there either, though. The, the story of Christmas didn't, didn't just stop with, with the marginalized. It went way beyond that. Now, now kind of before I get to where the, the, the story of Jesus is heading next, with Christmas just, you know, a, a week away now, I'm, I'm sure that every one of us in here, we've had this experience at one time or another where you bought somebody a gift— Maybe it's for Christmas, maybe it's for their birthday, and, and you put, just put a, time, a lot of time and thought and money and effort into it, and you didn't get quite the reaction you were hoping for when they opened it. Like, we, we've, we've, all, we've all been there, you know, like I said, you, you know, especially those that are parents in the room, you know, you, like you, you went out shopping, maybe you went out and battled the crowds on, on Black Friday, and, and you know, like you, you picked out the wrapping paper, maybe you put a bow on the top of it, and, and like it's just, it's perfect. You had, I, oh, they're just going to love this, this gift that, that I've just put so much time and thought and effort into. And so finally Christmas morning arrives, or maybe it's, it's their birthday, and, and they're tearing into it, and the wrapping paper's flying everywhere. And you ready your phone. You're like, you, you want to take a picture because you want to just get their, their face just bursting with joy when they open that gift. And then the reaction, the response you get is anything but what you had, what, what you were hoping it was going to be. Like maybe, like, and, and doesn't this always happen like when you go to like your in-laws or something like that and, and they open this up and... and like you, they just give no response, no reaction at all, and you're like, say thank, like at least pretend like you like it or or something, and, and you know maybe it's indifference, maybe maybe like you went out and you bought the wrong one, and you're just like, oh, all right, I missed that, or somebody else already bought it for him, so now yours doesn't seem quite as as big a deal, and 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 I know everybody has also been here as well, especially if you have a little boy in the house, and I'm. I'm not saying this from experience. I'm saying this because I know little boy. No, I am saying this from experience. Now, 
where they open up the gift and they have way more fun with the box that it came in than with the actual gift itself. And you're just like, all right, why did I even, why did I even bother? Like, and, and there's times, you know, like, like where, where it seems like, all right, maybe this small thing that you got, like that was the thing that enamored them. And, and this big gift, you know, that you put all this effort in wasn't quite, didn't have quite that same reaction. And, and it's, it's hard to gauge. Like, it's, it's hard, gift giving can be difficult because it's hard to gauge what the reaction is going to be, what the response is going to be when, when they finally get to open it, you know. It, and and it, it, hopefully they respond positively, but sometimes people respond with, with apathy, maybe even hostility at, at times. Like, I don't know if you guys remember ever, like, this is years, years ago. I don't know if he still does it. But Jimmy Kimmel used to do, like, his... Uh, Hey, uh, I, I'm trying to remember how he called it, but it was like, he, he told parents, I want you to give your kid a, a Christmas gift early and take a video of it, but make sure it's a terrible gift. And then just video their response and their reaction. So like there was one where like the girl got like a moldy banana, the kid got an onion, you know, like I, he gave a boy, one set of parents gave a boy a girl's coloring book and, and stuff. And like, and, and, and the responses were 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 funny, and obviously those kids are probably going to end up in therapy someday from that. But again, like, it, it's, it's the response. It's the reaction that we have to the gift. And, and in some ways, that's kind of what happened with when Jesus arrived as well. That he was a gift, God's gift to all of, all of humanity. And while the, the marginalized were the first to hear uh, of this incredible uh, arrival of, of the Messiah that he'd finally come, the, the story in the birth of Jesus went beyond those who were just on the fringes. But it actually went to those who were in the corridors of power as well. Like God looked on, on humanity and, and with just meticulous preparation, he orchestrated the greatest gift that's ever been given. And the reactions to this gift, though, couldn't have been more different. And this morning we're going to look at, at the responses. We're going to take a look at three recipients of this gift. And, and what were their responses when they heard the news about the birth of Jesus. Now, the first recipient that we're going to talk about this morning is, is the Magi, or colloquially known as, as the three wise men. And, and if you can, like, we, we've all seen the Christmas cards that has the, the Magi on it, and often they're, they're riding camels, or they're walking alongside, and they're carrying gifts, and, and they're approaching the stable on the night that Jesus was born. And, 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 and the Magi, like, they're, they're extremely interesting characters in the story of Christmas for, for a number of reasons, partly because not much is known about them. Like we, we, like we, we read about the Magi in, in the book of Matthew, but Matthew doesn't give a whole lot of details about them. He doesn't give who they were, like what their names were. Now, now historically, tradition says you know, that their names were Gaspar, Malchiar, and Balthazar, but Scripture doesn't actually record that. So we, we don't know their names. We don't know exactly where they came from. Matthew just records that they came from the east. So we don't even know exactly where they were from, how far they traveled. Another thing, the Bible doesn't tell us how many of them there were. Like, traditionally, like in, in the picture, we see three of them. But again, the Bible does not say that. We, we kind of make assumptions that because there were three gifts that were presented to Jesus, that there were three wise men. But again, Scripture doesn't say how many there were. And another misrepresentation about the Magi is that they, it shows that they showed up on the night 
of Jesus' birth, and that was actually not the case. And we'll talk more about that in, in just a few moments here, but most likely they didn't arrive until Jesus was almost a toddler. And I hope this isn't ruining anybody's image of, of, of the nativity and the night of Jesus' birth, but, but Matthew, like, he's pretty vague when it comes to these visitors, these magi that came from the east. But one thing we do know about them is what their response and what their reaction to Jesus was. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that the Magi's reaction was worship and honor. The Magi's response, their reaction to Jesus was one of worship and one of honor. In Matthew chapter 2, this is where we begin reading about the Magi. I'm going to start in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where's the one who, had been born, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, I said a moment ago, we don't know exactly where they came from. There are other instances in, in the Bible where, where Babylon is referred to as the east. And so it, it, maybe they came from, from Babylon or from that general region. And, um, but, but so some scholars debate about, all right, where did they come from? It may have been from Babylon. But, but if it was, so just for the sake of argument, if it was from Babylon, that's about a 900-mile journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. And in the book of Ezra, Ezra writes about how his entourage, it took them about four months to travel from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, obviously, uh, with, with Ezra, like they had women and children and, and everything, so their, their journey, journey is going to take a little bit longer. But needless to say, that the, the Magi that came from the east, it, it likely took them quite a while, probably several months. You know, we'll just say three to four months that it took them to make this trip. So round, round trip, we're talking over half a year that it took these magi from the east to come and visit and worship this child. Now, obviously, they had some, some knowledge. They had some understanding of the prophecies that of, of the Messiah, of this Jewish Messiah that, was, that had come. They knew that the child had been born, that he was going to be crowned the king of the Jews. Maybe they had uh, some understanding of Isaiah 11. But for whatever reason, they, they saw this star in the sky, and they interpreted it to be a sign that the Messiah had been born. And, and we're not told why they arrived at that conclusion. But when they finally did arrive in Jerusalem, they inquired about where they could find this king of the Jews. Where, where can we find him? Because they said their express purpose was they wanted to come and they wanted to worship. They wanted to worship this child. Now think about that for a moment. These guys traveled maybe 900 miles, took months to get there to come and worship this child to worship Jesus. And, and I'll be honest, like it kind, of, it kind of humbles me a little bit when I think about that, the lengths that they went to to come worship Jesus when they're sometimes like on a Sunday morning, and I'm like, oh man, I'm tired. I, I, I don't know that I want to get up today. Like they traveled 900 miles and took months to get there. And they headed to Bethlehem. And, and Matthew continues in, in Matthew 2, verse Nine. It says, after they had heard the king, so they, they went and, and they visited King Herod. We're going to talk about him in a moment. And they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down 
and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now again, think about that for a moment. They came all this way, took months to get there, to present this child with some pretty unusual gifts, worshipped him, and then they turned around and left. I mean, it's pretty amazing to me. And, and, and if you think about those, those gifts that, that the Magi gave, gold and frankincense and myrrh, it, it is some unusual gifts to bring to a child. And, and, and along with that as well, like very expensive gifts too. Like frankincense and myrrh, I, I've read different accounts on this, could actually have been more valuable, more, more uh, uh, worth more money than the gold was at the time. But I would argue that these gifts in some ways they, they, that, that they presented to him symbolized different aspects of his life and ministry. The gold in, in some ways suggests the, the royalty as king of the Jews. The frankincense was used often in, in religious ceremonies. And so this suggests his divinity. The myrrh, it was, it was actually a burial perfume suggesting his humanity. And so the, these three gifts, in a way, they show Jesus as king, as God, and as man all in one. But their response, their response to Jesus was one of honor and one of worship. But Herod, who was king over Judea at the time of Jesus' birth, he had a, a very different response. That King Herod, his reaction was one of jealousy and of fear. Jealousy and fear. Like in, in, the, in, the, in the eyes of most that lived in Judea at the time, Herod was just a, he was like a puppet king in a way. And not only that, he, that, often many viewed him as a traitor as well, that Herod the Great, he was partly of Jewish descent. And he ruled in place as, as a, a, instead of a Roman governor. And, and so be, given his, his Jewish ancestry, he would have been seen as, as a puppet betraying his own people in a way. And, and in some ways, it, it, like Herod's rule over Judea at the time, it kind of reminds me of like the apartheid state in South Africa at the time where, where you have a powerful minority that is ruling over, ruthlessly ruling over, an ethnic majority at the time. And it, it's a recipe for, for grievances and power plays in that. And likely, Herod probably did not feel that his rule was secure. He became paranoid anytime anybody or anything threatened his rule. There, there's recordings that, that Herod actually killed one of, his wife, one, one of his wives and three of his sons because he felt threatened that they were plotting against him. And Herod's response was not one of honor and worship as the Magi's, but his was one of jealousy and fear. Matthew records that after the Magi came to Jerusalem inquiring about the newborn king of the Jews, in verse 7, they have a conversation with Herod. And then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He's scheming. He, he's worried. All right, when did the star appear? How, how, like, how long ago did you know that this child had been born? And he sent them on to Bethlehem, and he said, Go, and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Obviously, Herod had no intention of actually worshiping Jesus. He wanted the location of this child so he, he could go and, and destroy the child. But, but then, after the Magi had, had visited, after they had worshipped him and presented him with gifts, if you recall a few moments ago, 
that they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and they went back to their, their country or they went back to their homeland a different way. But Matthew continues in verse 13. It says, When they had gone, after the Magi had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, that out of Egypt I called my son. Now when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. So the Magi had shared with him, all right, we've seen this star up in the sky, this star that we followed. It's been there for two years. And so Herod, in his fear and in his jealousy, decides, all right, I'm going to find all of the, the baby boys in and around Bethlehem that are two years old and younger. And I'm going to have them killed. Herod's response was one of brutality and murder, committing mass infanticide in the name of maintaining power and authority. Like, obviously, the, the rich and the powerful, they had some different responses to the arrival of, of the Messiah, the arrival of, of Jesus. But the last response that I, that I want to focus on this morning is from a man who lived in Jerusalem at the time, whose name was Simeon. And his, Simeon's reaction was one that was very similar to that of, of the Magi. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that Simeon's reaction was praise and blessing. And, and I want to read to, to you the, the account that Luke gives in the second chapter of his gospel. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, took Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I'm going to skip ahead just a, a few verses here. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of, of Israel. He, he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for all things to be made right once again. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And, and, I, and I think of this story, I think of this interaction that Simeon has with Mary and Joseph and, and with Jesus. And it's probably one of the most beautiful pictures that, that we see in all, of, in all of Scripture. 
Like the Magi, like we're not given a lot of information about Simeon, except that he was a righteous man, that he was a, de a devout man, and, and that he was waiting. That Luke says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, and, and essentially what that means is he was, he was expectantly waiting for the, for the comfort and the salvation and the revelation that had been promised through the Old Testament. He was, he was waiting, expectantly waiting for the Messiah to come. He had seen all the trailers. He had seen the reviews. He, he knew the Messiah was coming and coming soon. And the Holy Spirit promised him and said, all right, Simeon, you are not going to die until you see the Messiah. What a promise that is, huh? Like, wow. And upon seeing him, he takes Jesus in his arms and he holds this little baby. The Savior of the world. This little baby he holds in his arms, and he praised God. Rembrandt painted a very famous painting of, of Simeon holding the, the baby Jesus. And, and, and it's this, this mental picture of this moment that is so precious to me. That this old man who had lived a, a faithful and an upright life, like he, he, he was in the, the twilight of his years. He'd waited his entire life for this one moment to hold the very Son of God in, in his arms. Like, like he, he, it, when, when he praised God, he even said, All right, Lord, I, I, you can dismiss me in peace. I, I'm, it's okay for me to go now. Like my life is fulfilled right now in this moment. And it's not at all the same thing, but I, but I remember going to visit my grandma in the nursing home after Regan was born. Re, Regan just had a, a birthday this past week, so if you see her embarrasser, she's 17 now. But I remember going to visit my grandma in the funeral home. This, this is Regan 17 years ago. And, and my grandma was old, and she was frail, and, and her holding my daughter. Like, Re Regan was just enamored with her great-grandma's necklace that, that she had on, was always grasping for it. And, 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 and this picture is so special to me for so, for so many reasons. I got emotional when I was looking at this picture this week. That my grandma, who had lived her life and wanted to see her first great-grandchild, got, got to hold my daughter. She passed away not long after this. Um, but this picture, it, it reminds me in some ways of this episode with Simeon. That a man who had lived his life and lived his life well had waited patiently for the Savior to come and he gets to hold this child. He gets to hold the one that was going to, to free the people from their sins. And, and if you caught what, what, it, what Luke said that Simeon did, he said when he was holding Jesus, he praised God. He said, all right, God, I, I can die in peace now because I've seen, I've experienced, I've held your salvation in my arms. And then he turns to Mary and Joseph, and after he praised God, he blesses Mary and Joseph. Like, what an amazing response to this encounter with the Savior of the world. And so I, I, I have a, a question for all of us this morning. Is what is our response to the birth of Jesus? Like, how, how do we respond to that good news of Jesus' coming? Like, is it one of honor and worship like the Magi? When, when, we, when we think about Jesus coming, are, are we filled with fear? 
dread, feeling threatened like Herod? Are, are, is it one of praise and blessing like Simeon? And what, one, of the, one of the most famous Christmas hymns of, of all time is joy, joy to the World. And if you were here uh, two weeks ago, I shared with you about how O Holy Night was originally written as a poem. It was not written as a, as a song at all. And, and it wasn't until years later that it was put to music. And Joy to the World actually has a very similar story as well. That it was written in 1719 by Isaac Watts. And what Isaac Watts was doing, he was, he was writing poems as well. He, he was reading through David's psalms. He was going through the psalms and finding the psalms of David. And what he was doing was he, he was writing these poems based on, on these psalms and making some adjustments, like paying special attention to the works of Jesus that were foreshadowed and referenced in the psalms. And Joy to the World is the second part of his poem about Psalm 98. It wasn't until, a, 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 so it, it was, Joy to the World was originally just a poem. It wasn't until a century later that it was put to music by a music teacher in Boston named Lowell Mason. Like it was never intended to be a, a Christmas carol, but it was released around Christmas time and became the, the most published Christmas hymn in America. And one of the lines in that song is, is my final point this morning that I wanted to share with us. This final point before we, we gather together and worship on Christmas Eve. And it's the line in the song that says, Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Like when, when we encounter the story of Jesus, when, when we're confronted with, the, with his coming, what is our response? Like are, are we preparing him room in our lives. And my prayer for all of us here in, in, in our church family is that our reaction to the story of Jesus, to his birth, to, to the incarnation of God, is that we would, we would do what Isaac Watts said in Joy to the World, that we would prepare him room, that we would, we would move maybe ourselves aside, our desires and our wishes, setting aside those things in our life that, that we elevate to a higher place that Jesus alone should hold. Maybe, maybe it's our own comfort, our own fears, our agenda, our plans, our, our concerns. Are we willing to move those things aside to, to prepare room for Jesus? Having a response of, of honor and worship, of praise and blessing. And so this, this final week leading up to Christmas, I, I just want to encourage everybody who, who's a part of our church family that we would do exactly that, that, that exact line, that we would prepare him room, that with all the, the Christmas busyness and the festivities, that our response would be like that of the Magi, like that of Simeon. Honor and worship, praise and blessing. If you would, would you bow your heads and let me just pray for us right now. Lord, we, we just love you and honor you and thank you, Lord, so much for who you are. God, thank you for the way that your story has traveled throughout the millennia. God, for the way that, that you uh, move and, and do amazing things in, in our hearts and in our lives. God, the way that you have orchestrated all of this. God, I, I pray for, for each of us today, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to, to prepare room for you. That in spite of all, all the things that, that are going on, all the things that, that happen this time of year, 
God, that, that our, our posture, our response to you would be one of, of honor and worship, of, of praise and blessing. Not just at Christmas time, but, but all year round. Lord, we, we love you so very much. And, and God, I, I just pray that as a, as a church body, Lord, this final week before Christmas, before we gather together as, as families, celebrate, exchange gifts, to, to eat, to be together, Lord, that we, we would take that time to truly reflect, to truly respond to, to what it is that you've done in our lives, to what it is that you are doing. Father, we would never lose sight of never lose sight of what an amazing gift. Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation of God being made flesh, living and dwelling among us, that, that we would never take that for granted. But God, that we would always remember, we would always esteem that to the place it deserves to be in our lives, Lord. We, we just thank you, Lord. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.